Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration and collaboration creates community and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck and this is Face to Face. Welcome to Face to Face, and uh, thank you for joining us uh, once again. It's um, May, May the 16th, beautiful weather here in Toronto, and I, I just left uh, Thailand and Cambodia. I'm back home, and we're now speaking with Lindsay Higgs from uh, an organization called MTV Exit, and she's actually uh, based in Bangkok. Is that right, Lindsay? Yes, it is. Bangkok. It was another hot, sunny day in Bangkok today. Probably a little warmer than it was in the GTA. I, I, I bet. So thank, thank you for, uh, for joining us and looking forward to, to our chat uh, this morning. Thank you for inviting me to be here. So, so before we actually roll and, and kind of get into some of the things that I'm hoping we can chat about, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and about MTV Exit and maybe you know give us a quick CV-like overview of where you've been over the last few years from a development perspective. <laughs> Okay, so right now, like you said, I'm with MTV Exit, and MTV Exit is a multimedia-based campaign that focuses on the prevention of human trafficking. So I just joined Exit in mid-March, so still learning a lot, Mm -hmm. working in a new region, working around a new issue for me, and prior to that, I was working with Plan Canada on their youth engagement programming, specifically with the Because I'm a Girl campaign that a lot of your listeners might be familiar with. It's now running all around the world with all the plan offices, which is really exciting. And one of the big developments that happened during the time that I was there 
was the creation of the Day of the Girl, which is now October 11th. That was created by the U.S. So a really exciting new development during the time that I was with Plan. Before that, I spent some time working in the South Pacific, in East Africa, in France, studying in England and Japan. My background is in politics and international affairs. But from the time I started working, beginning with an internship at UNESCO after my undergrad degree, I was focusing on youth engagement and development. So it's been exciting, all of the new opportunities that have come out of that. So so politics and international affairs, you're clearly excited by and passionate about engaging young people and you know stimulating conversation and dialogue. I have to tell uh, my listeners that uh, Lindsay and I have known each other for a couple of years, but recently, uh, I guess a few months ago, we spent about five to seven minutes on stage together kind of doing <laughs> an interview. And I was really excited by, by Lindsay's passion and her desire to clearly uh, educate the audience, but not in a condescending way, just in a kind of, hey guys, have you heard? Did you know this? And and just, I mean, I got to say, you're just so talented and so uh, uh, fresh and so uh, relevant. I just, I was blown away. So, so it was, it was awesome. So I'm hoping we can, uh, we can, we can uh, dig into that, uh, that passion and uh, your commitment a little bit here today as well. But so, so, so politics, international affairs, clearly this passion for youth. Why? Why did you say yes to this kind of work? What? What? I mean, I, I know there never. It's never one thing, uh, but how come you're doing what you're doing and you're not selling pharmaceuticals? <laughs> you know, I never even looked into the pharmaceutical route, although I'm sure it has its own challenges and rewards. Yes. When I first finished my undergrad degree and I was doing what many new graduates do, which is the job hunt and thinking about, do I want to continue education? Can I find an internship? Can I find a job? And I applied for a program that at the time was through the Department of Foreign Affairs and International Trade that was called Young Professionals International. And so through that, I was hired by the really innovative youth-run NGO, Taking It Global, that's based in Toronto. And I was hired to be their UNESCO liaison. So that meant for me that I went to Paris and worked in the UNESCO office. And I was working primarily on this project with young people in small islands. So here I was, a girl from New Brunswick, gone to school in Ontario, had done some traveling, but not to any small island developing states. And then I had this chance to work on a project where I was learning all about these islands that I had never, never come across before and getting a chance to work directly with some of the youth there. We organized a forum that happened in Mauritius in conjunction with a UN high-level meeting for small island developing states, brought them together. Kofi Annan spoke there. And the whole goal of that youth forum was to give them the tools to then go back home and implement their own sustainable development projects. So these really varied, everything from cleaning up a beach to doing some lessons in a local language that was dying out. They were really varied, but what was at the heart of it was young people stepping up and taking action for something they believe in. And I think that so often we hear that cliched phrase, oh, young people, they're the leaders of tomorrow. Right. But they have so much potential right now. And there are so many pervasive negative stereotypes about youth in general that, oh, they're lazy. All they want to do is be on Facebook. All they want to do is be on their phone. When, when we look around, we can see these incredible youth advocates that are doing so so much, both locally, nationally, regionally, and internationally. And so when I got my first taste of that through that internship with UNESCO, that turned into a few more years of work with them. I came back and did my master's. And then from there, went to Tanzania with a small Canadian-funded NGO that, again, was focusing on youth. 
building youth capacity around good governance, employment skills, gender equality, citizenship. It was a, quite a diverse program. And with that one, we actually had some youth from Canada who would come over for a period of a few weeks to a few months, and they would work directly with their Tanzanian peers to develop programming. And one event that we would do regularly was called which was Courage for Life, and it was around HIV AIDS awareness. Mm. And to see the musical performances, the drama that were all being done by youth in that community to a packed town hall was really exciting. So I think what's kept me interested in this field of youth engagement and development is that incredible energy that I get from working directly with young people and that opportunity to bring up some new topics, to hear their perspectives, to introduce them to new ideas, and to really have that exchange where we're not falling into the habits that can come later on in life, where you get pretty entrenched in what you think or how you're doing things. And what's been incredible to me, especially around ideas of gender, have been those eye-opening conversations where you're sitting around and just chatting and saying, you know, have you ever thought of this or have you ever noticed that? And that's coming from both sides, from me and also from, from the girls, from the boys who have been part of that programming. But definitely the energy, the innovation, that desire to think differently and do things differently has been really inspiring. Do you think that there's a, uh, there's a, a difference between you know, youth in the global north versus the global south? Do you think that uh, one group is more motivated than the other? Do you think one group has more opportunity than the other? What, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think that in, in many cases, youth in the global north have more opportunity, but I would say that at the same time, that really fervent desire to, to change things, to make a difference, is very, very present in youth in the global south. Because in many ways, youth in the global north, it's almost a luxury to be able to be part of a social action group at school in some cases, or to be able to go for the summer abroad and, and volunteer. But for many youth in the global south, it's what they're living day to day. So that opportunity to, in the example of some of MTV Exit's programming, to raise awareness about trafficking, to help their peers and their community members understand what trafficking looks like in their area and what they can do to protect themselves and what key steps they need to take, that can make a fundamental difference to their own lives and to the lives of the people around them. What um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the some uh, you know maybe use one example what you know you talked about eye opening conversations what what uh, eye opening probably for you as well but what what uh, what's one that comes to mind or two that come to mind well when I was with Plan I was working with our because I am a girls speakers bureau and that was girls in high school and university who were really interested in learning more about gender equality they wanted to speak out about it be a be a role model be an advocate. So we would meet usually every month or two, and sometimes we'd watch a documentary, sometimes we would just sit around and talk about articles we'd read or things that were happening in school. And as part of that program, we did a couple projects with them. One that was around Photo Voice Project, which was actually in conjunction with a PhD that was being done by a woman named Leanne Ingram. And then she later also connected us with the same group with an opportunity to do a filmmaking project. And that was really interesting to me because the girls decided what topics they wanted 
to create their short films about. And these were documentary films. So they were learning not only how to use all of the equipment, but also figuring out their storyboard, who they wanted to interview. And the topics they decided to tackle were really interesting to me because they were looking at some really deep-seated issues around rape culture, around the whole boys will be boys stereotype, for the way we respond to violence against girls and women in our society. They were taking on some really heavy topics that you might think, oh, really, really, do you, do you want to delve into that? But they were thinking at that level. They weren't simply thinking about, oh, so many things are pink for girls. Right. <laughs> culture. So it was really eye-opening for me to see how deeply they were engaging with these issues. And those films are online. The films were created with Skyworks Foundation, and the project was called Real Change Girls Filmmaking Project. So anyone who wants to check out their short documentary films can find them online. Oh, that's that's great. So uh, very encouraging to me. I mean, I'm always uh, amazed at how many, you know, opportunities to serve and to help and to get involved there are. But I'm also always, I think, really encouraged. And I find it personally affirming to hear stories like that there, that there are uh, a new group of thinkers and uh, activists who are uh, coming up that are actually making a difference now. Do you, um, Lindsay, do you think it's kind of an 80-20 rule? Do you think that 20% of youth are engaged like this? Do you think that 20% of youth are asking the deeper questions? questions like you know things about boys being boys and about rape culture and so on do you think that is extending beyond this small group that that are motivated because of a b and c or do you think uh, there's more reasons to be hopeful about where we're heading in the in the west i think that there's a growing dialogue especially facilitated through social media around these issues but i think we still have a relatively small group of young people that are willing to be very vocal especially if we're thinking about the topic of gender equality that can be a very touchy subject for many people and i have noticed in our work that the group who was willing to be very vocal to really stand up and say this is what i believe and i want all of you to get on board that is still a small group, but I think it's so important to be creating those opportunities for a discussion because in many ways, topics like gender equality just seem so big that either we often end up responding by putting them into very broad boxes and saying, oh, gender equality means that or gender equality means feminism and that means bra burning and hating men and so you know, I don't want any of that. So we see that sort of broad category categorization. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, we see a small group that's really trying to pick apart the issue, understand it more deeply. And what we need to see more of is that bridging where the group that is delving into it more deeply has the support and the resources and the confidence to speak to their peers at a broader level. And I think part of our role as adults in this field is to provide them with those platforms, to encourage them to be speaking to broader audiences. A big part of what I'm trying to focus on as I'm working on developing the youth engagement strategy with MTV Exit right now is trying to find opportunities for youth voice to be amplified. And that doesn't mean just within our own MTV Exit activities and content. It means looking for those external opportunities as well. So, for example, across the anti-trafficking sector, where are there opportunities where youth representatives can be speaking and sharing their perspective and bringing that to the table so that we increase the respect and the acknowledgement of young people as equal stakeholders in these issues? 
So, so your work, so you've worked taking it global, you plan, you're at MTV exit. Do you see, do you see kind of, uh, you know, you're, you, you had just mentioned, you know, looking for platforms and so do you see a, I hate the word synergy. Um, I'm not, a, it just, it's sort of, uh, it's too big of a paintbrush, but do you see a connection? Do you see partnering? Do you see this, I guess, this um, desire uh, for organizations to come to, to create those platforms collectively, comprehensively, holistically, or do you think there's still this, uh, unfortunately, there's still this sort of vertical approach towards the, the, the sector itself, the nonprofit sector itself? I think we're at an interesting halfway point. There's been a lot of movement with some of the really big development NGOs around involving youth at the governance level, around creating more opportunities to bring a youth perspective into their planning and their project implementation. And that's very exciting. But I think we still often run the risk of tokenism, mm. where we, yes, let's bring a group of youth together. But there's no real plan for the outputs of that. There's no impact of those outputs. It's just bring them together, take some photos, send them on their way. And I think that is very encouraging for young people who come together with a lot of, of passion and a real desire to enact change. And when it turns into something that's very superficial, I think it really undermines the whole process of youth engagement and development. Do you think there's... Um you know, you you got a, an incredible amount of experience. You know, working with big organizations. You're now working with a, a relatively small, more grassroots organization, I suppose, than than say say plan. Do you think you know? And, and you focused on capacity building and what you know I would call just you know simply education. Do you think there's a silver bullet uh, with respect to the issues? You've just got back from Myanmar. Um, you know, what's what's going on in the world? This is a huge question. But, you know, for me, I would kind of argue that, you know, gender justice and education for me are the two silver bullets, uh, excuse the metaphor. But do you uh, do you agree with that? Do you think it's gender coming out of your work with Because I'm a Girl or or where, where, where do you sit with with, uh, you know, and, and to oversimplify it and say there's one solution is, is foolish. But uh, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, I, I would agree with you that education and, and gender equality are key. Certainly with the Because I'm a Girl initiative, we were often stressing the importance of education as being the most you know, cost-effective way of moving gender equality forward and really transforming the whole life of an individual girl, which then impacts the community or country. And it goes on with this really interesting ripple effect. Yes. So, uh, yes, I, I would agree that the gender equality is tied into all of these other issues that we're dealing with, certainly with human trafficking, as I'm starting to learn more about that and thinking about the role that the youth advocates that we're working with are playing. I can see that there are a lot of gender norms and stereotypes that definitely come into play when we're thinking about who, who is a victim, who is a trafficker. And I'm really interested as part of the activities that we roll out during this next phase to try to dive more deeply into that, to really have those discussions as part of the youth training that we're implementing to help those conversations start around thinking, oh, I guess it's not, it's not only women who are trafficked. It's not only men who are traffickers. That it, in fact, we know that men are very often trafficked around labor. So all of these learnings for me have been really interesting and then thinking about how I can connect that to the gender quality work that I was involved with at Plan. Before you started this work, would you have ever described yourself as closed-minded? 
Hmm. No, I think I've always thought that I have a lot to learn because the world is large and complex, but I've always been very curious. I like to ask a lot of questions, which I think I inherited from my mother, but I'm very curious about pretty much anything, but I also have a strong degree of empathy. And I think for me, that's a big part of what's driven my desire to work in places, to meet different people, to keep taking on new challenges and trying new things. Because a point that I made when we were on stage at the school around the mosquito sector was that it could be so easy for us to be in a different position, to have been born somewhere else, to have been born with different opportunities, different privileges, more or less. And to keep in mind that it could so easily have have been different and to to keep in mind that we do have a a responsibility because of the opportunities that we've been given to each other. Even if it's at a very small level, I've always loved the idea of organizing some sort of discussion group around TED Talks because I think there's such a great little introduction to some big complex issues Mm -hmm. delivered in a really dynamic, accessible way. And I think the more we can try to make those conversations part of our day-to-day, whether that's with colleagues, whether that's with youth who we're working with, whether that's with family and friends, I think that's really key to driving change, to just be thinking constantly about issues in new ways and being open to new ideas and new developments and having conversations. Because when we just hear something new, maybe catch a clip on the news or watch a YouTube video, that's interesting. But when we engage around that topic and actually have a conversation about it, that's when we really start to think through, what do I think about this? What does that mean for how I'm living day to day? What does that mean for what I can do in my work or in my personal life with how I'm responding to this issue, how I'm engaging with it? Uh, depending on the day that you get me, I'm, I could be incredibly hopeful about where we're heading in the world and about the youth and about engagement and about change. And then, you know, a couple days later, I could be pretty cynical, um, you know, because of an, a situation or somebody that I met or, or, or whatever. So I guess... I'm wondering, I guess I'm wondering where you sit uh, with respect to the whole idea of change. The notion, you know, that old cliche, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Is, 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 does the future depend on a younger generation that are currently doing great things today, but are going to continue to do great things in a way that maybe our generation and our parents' generation didn't because they just weren't aware, because they weren't educated? You know, my parents never thought about something like, you know, fair trade coffee or slavery uh, in the way that you or I might be thinking about it today. Uh, and I know uh, friends and family members that I have, they're not engaged uh, to, the, to the level that I am. But I mean, it's the work I do. It's the life that I live. I'm, I'm passionate involved, right? You are too. So I guess, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of talking around a question here, but I, but I think, you know, I see my son who's seven years old who, who gets upset with me if I throw something in the garbage and I don't immediately consider recycling it. Well, he's thinking in a new way. He's thinking in a way that makes sense to him, whereas it didn't to me. And that's when I get, you know, hopeful about change. But then I end up talking to somebody and it's kind of like they've got this not in my backyard approach. You know, and if it doesn't relate to me today, then you know what? I just don't give a shit about it. I'm not interested. And, you know, environment, well, I guess it's a problem, but it's really not affecting me today. Sweatshops in Cambodia and, and Bangladesh, yeah, really not affecting me. You know, do, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, I guess, yeah, I'm not even sure if there's a question there, Lindsay. I think there's about a dozen, actually. 
<laughs> I think so. I think there's a lot of big issues there. And, and I, I agree with you that it, it's, it's not easy to wake up every day and be really excited about all the wonderful things that are going to happen through the work that you're doing or the personal choices you're making. But I don't think that discounts the small changes that are constantly happening. I find that sometimes, going back to, to cliches that are often used, we have all of those expressions around, just takes one person to change the world. And, and that sounds really nice, but realistically, I, I don't know that I, that I believe that. I think one person can change their own world. One person can make an impact, no question. But I, I'm a strong believer in emphasizing local action and Sometimes with some of the youth that I was working with in Canada, they would get really fired up about wanting to go volunteer into ideas around over there, they have so many problems. And over there, I really just have to go over there because they need my help. And we can all work together and learn from each other, no question. But I, I think that really sustainable youth engagement starts with emphasizing the impact that young people and that all of us can have can have locally instead of always trying to tackle issues on a global scale. Does that make sense? It does make, it, it makes great sense. And, and I, and I think, you know, I've often said, you know, it's not either or so, uh, and I'm not the first one to say that, but it's not about issues that are happening in the global South. It's not just about issues that are in the global North. How do we, how do we approach it? Well, let's try to approach it, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, um, relationally balanced way, if that makes any sense at all. But, but, uh, connects very well to, to gender equality, which is a great example of one of those issues that sometimes we think, Oh no, not a, not a problem in, in Canada, not a problem in the global North. That that's only an issue in the global South. I mean, you think of all of the controversy that erupts every time a celebrity says something like, Oh no, feminism, we don't need that. My generation doesn't need that. I'm, I'm thinking of Carla Bruni in, in France, but but what is really interesting is when you start to unpack that and think about, look, okay, well, what do you think? Look at, look at government in Canada. How many women are there? Or look at CEO positions. How many of those positions are held by women? Let's look at advertising. There are a lot of really interesting videos just on YouTube that flip advertising around. There's an interesting website where it flips all of the gendered pronouns in a site. There's a lot of those kind of resources out there that help make the point that gender equality is still very much a global issue to different extents and it manifests in different ways. But fundamentally, that is still an issue that cuts across all borders. Um, I want to come back to that in a second. I've got a really interesting and funny kind of funny and tragic example from a trip that I took recently into Cambodia uh, about gender disparity. But um, you talked earlier about, you know, young people kind of thinking, well, they need help and I'm going to go over there and so on. And this whole us, uh, them kind of mentality. Do you think that at the at the, the bottom of that, the foundation of that, there is this inherent um, racism or do you think it's actually, you know, much more positive than that and built on a generosity, a spirit of generosity? Does that question make sense? Yes, yes, I, I, I see what you're saying. Hmm. I, I think, I, I think I would put some of this responsibility on on media and the way that we often see very complex issues framed. So for a lot of young people, they're still growing up seen some of those TV specials where it's children in an African country covered with flies, wearing tattered clothing, looking hopeless. 
And I think those kind of images really stay with them, not so much from the the side of, of race, but more so those representations of poverty or of mm. or of disadvantage, marginalization. I think that's what really sticks. And and we know about the power and influence of media. So I would say that the media has a really crucial role to play in how we're thinking about these issues. And that's why I'm really interested in initiatives that are using media to, to tackle some of these complex issues. Because they're they're reaching out to where young people are already going, the kind of media they're already looking for, whether it's whether it's music videos, whether it's live concerts, I'm I'm thinking here of MTV Exits programming, but they're using those channels to promote real and relevant messages right. about very complex global issues. So I was in uh, Phnom Penh uh, not long ago, and we were traveling. There was about a group of uh, six of us traveling into a community uh, about 45 kilometers outside of the city in Kendal province. We were visiting some projects. And there was uh, two women on the trip, uh, three men and a driver, so four men and uh, two women. And I came out of the uh, NGO's office in, in the city, and I saw uh, the two women, Narat and Sopiane, their names, hop up into the back of the pickup truck as the two uh, men who were kind of not running the initiative, but were, you know, clearly connected to fundraising and, you know, the Western uh, partner getting into the back of the cab. And it was just starting to rain. There was just like a little, and there was no cab on uh, or, or covering on the back of the pickup truck. And I smiled because I know Narat very well. And I said, oh, hang on a second. As the door was closing, I said, Narat, you guys, here, I got to get a, a picture of this. I'm going to show this to some of my students when I get back home. I think this is the perfect metaphor for everything that's wrong in development. Now, that might be overstating it a wee bit, but I think that the, the, the example or the situation is almost a perfect, perfect uh, uh, situation or example of, you know, what's wrong. So we've got the West meeting the East and these two men who just assumed that they were going to get the seat, never even considered the women in the back, and yet the women were totally okay, or at least so it seemed, with sitting in the back of this truck. And she made some crack about how she was going to be now an example, and she smiled, this wonderful smile, big laugh. They wouldn't get into the back of the pickup. I actually forced, I was trying to force the two men to get into the back with me and, and let the women get in the front. And it wasn't any kind of, oh, you know, David's chivalrous and so on. I just, it was just such, you know, it was a, this, just this sore thumb. And, and I just kind of, I got, got into the back of the pickup truck, you know, one more white guy covered from the rain. And, and I just kind of shook my head and I said, man, you guys, you guys didn't even notice, did you? And they actually got pretty upset with me um, because they consider themselves, you know, to be development workers and pretty sensitive. Um, wh wh what do you think about that? I mean, are we, are we screwed? <laughs> or, or, you know, you go, wow, this is, this is a much deeper problem than I originally thought. Well, I think we definitely know it is a much deeper problem than we thought and that there's so much every day happening around us that, that we don't even necessarily notice. But what's fascinating to me is that as you start to become aware of, of gender equality, when you're looking at things through a gender lens, suddenly you see it everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. And I know in my, in my own family with my sisters, I have 
often been trying to hammer home different points about, oh, well, you just assumed that that was a man. You just assumed that was a woman. Or why, why do you think your daughter needs to do that? Or why don't you think she can do that? And, and they would say, oh, come on, come on. But, but now I've already noticed that they'll self-correct sometimes. If I'm talking to them and, and they'll say something about, oh, but, you know, she's so sweet. But girls don't have to always be sweet. And right. <laughs> just little things where, where I, I find it very gratifying in a personal sense to see that as much as they were saying, oh, come on, come on, you're always going on about this. They are now thinking about that in a, in a different way. And really, for me, it's all about just starting those conversations, because as much as it may seem originally that there's a lot of pushback and, oh, no, we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to talk about this. You never know what's what's sticking. You never know if the next day there might be something that someone sees and they say, oh, actually, you know, I never noticed that. But look, the, the women always do just get in the back and the men are getting in the truck. My one of my colleagues at Plan who I really admire, and she is very experienced in gender equality work. And she told me a story about a workshop that she was doing in, in Ghana. And that workshop that day, they had brought a group of men together. And, and the men were feeling a little disheartened, thinking, okay, another workshop about how we have to treat the women more equally. And, and she said, you know what, let's talk about you. Let's talk about how gender impacts you as men in this community in Ghana. And as the conversation started unfolding, one of the men said, you know what? I grew up in a family where my mother taught me to cook. And that's not very common. Most men don't cook. But my mother taught me. I like it and I'm good at it. But he said, when I got married, my wife said, you stay out of the kitchen. This is my only domain of power. This is all I have to be in charge of. So stay out. But he said she hates to cook and she's terrible at it. So she's in the kitchen miserably cooking and I'm out at the table miserably waiting to eat and neither of us is any better off. And for me, I really like that story because it highlights the fact that those conversations around gender equality are not, are not coming from that place of, oh, men, you're terrible. Men and boys, oh, you're horrible. You're horrible. You need to change everything. You ruined life for girls and women. What we're saying is that when we open up those conversations around gender equality, when we unpack some of those gender norms, we're creating more opportunities for everyone, for boys, for men, for girls, for women. And we're acknowledging that there is a whole spectrum of gender that isn't the men, women, girls, and boys. But as part of that, it's that conversation, I think. And it's, it starts with acknowledging that those conversations around gender include boys and men. I think, I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a great story. It really is good. I mean, it's, it's talking about structure and framework and, and, and ideology and so on. And just, I mean, it really, again, shows you how deep some of these issues really do go and how you can't be polarized about the, the debate and you've got to be open and you've got to be willing to, to, to have a conversation and have a dialogue. And I think, I, would you agree that I mean this is where real change is is starting to happen? This is where the seeds are planted. You know the the capacity building, the the opportunities for youth engagement, and and really, I mean, I think that if I mean, there's a lot of things that you've talked about, Lindsay, but one of the threads for me is dialogue. You know, you, mm -hmm. you, you keep coming back to that idea of asking the right questions and of just opening up dialogue and having a conversation. And, and, and I think your comment about the gender lens is really helpful. I don't know that I see everything through a gender lens, but certainly because of uh, some of my work with PLAN, some of my work at Humber College and the reading that I've done, I'm certainly, you know, I'm getting a little bit more of a tint, a gender tint, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased about that. And it's, it's taking time. And, and, and you're right. 
you, you can't not, you can't go back. You can't go back seeing things the other way, which I think is frustrating on one level, but also encouraging on another. Yes. And I'm glad you pulled out that thread for me because I feel like I've been touching on <laughs> a lot of different topics. But I, I do absolutely believe in that importance of dialogue. And I think we can all find some role to play in moving that dialogue forward, whether, whether you're the person asking the questions, answering the questions, providing links to material that's already out there, whether you're the person setting up the opportunity for there to be a dialogue. There are a lot of different roles surrounding moving a dialogue around these issues like gender equality or, or like human trafficking forward. And I think what's most important is to keep asking those questions and keep looking for opportunities to, to learn more so that you can then ask questions. Yeah, I think it's absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, you don't have to twist my arm having spent so many years, you know, studying philosophy. For me, it's, it's so much about the question and, 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 you know, you can really tell a lot about an issue or a person or, uh, you know, by, by the nature of the questions they ask, I think, um, you know what, we're almost out of time and I just, I want to, I want to see if we can kind of wrap it up. You've, you've talked a couple times about responsibility and I'm with you. I think we are responsible and if we're not responsible, then who the heck is? So I don't know that everyone feels that way though. And I'm, I wonder if you could touch a little bit on why you feel responsible and how you feel maybe uh, we can, you know, you and I together, uh, organizations, uh, other people who are motivated in the same way can encourage others to feel the same way. How, and, and really, is it simply about coming back to that dialogue? Um, does that make sense? Yes. I, I think for me, it goes back to local because sometimes if we're framing it, oh, we all have a responsibility to the world, to everyone in it, that can be a big leap. But I don't think there, there are many people who would feel that they are not responsible to anyone. You could be asking a parent. You could be asking a, a child who feels responsible for a sibling or a pet or a friend. In our day-to-day -day lives, we have all taken on levels of responsibility for people or animals that we care about. Mm -hmm. I think when you start at that level and then build from there to thinking about, about human rights and what does that mean for us, in terms of responsibility to our fellow humans, I really just have to start local and go global. Mm. I, I've seen ads around different issues where it, where it will, I think it was some in the Toronto subway recently, and I can't remember what the issue was, but it was, it was showing a, an adult saying, you know, the caption was something like, oh, I wouldn't want it to happen to my daughter. I wouldn't want it to happen to my granddaughter or whatever it was, but it was trying to drive home that point of thinking about issues from a, from a local personal perspective. And some people criticize that approach and they say, you shouldn't want it to happen to anyone, whatever, whatever that particular issue was. I think it might've been abuse, but you wouldn't want it to happen to anyone. Why should it matter whether it's someone who's related to you? But the fact is that, that that's where it starts for us, that our sense of, of responsibility often starts with the people who are closest to us. And so thinking from that local personal perspective and then thinking about how some of these big issues that we might have thought were just over there or just a problem for them, quote unquote, when we start to unpack how those issues are actually impacting us day to day in our own lives, for example, going back to gender equality, someone with a daughter or a niece or a girl who they're mentoring through a big sister program, whatever it may be, if you're thinking about, well, actually, gender equality fundamentally affects the opportunities that she will have in her life. It affects day to day how she's perceived, how people treat her. 
what opportunity she'll have going forward. This is very real for her. So it's not just thinking about millions of girls who are out of school around the world, which is a huge, weighty, very serious issue. It's also thinking about how that same issue is directly impacting the people in our own lives. So that's a long-winded, perhaps rather vague way of, of trying to say that, that I, I think it still comes back to thinking about responsibility locally and then building that out through the dialogue around these complex issues that help make that local global connection. A big part of what I was involved with during my work at PLAN was because I'm a girl, was creating these resources that could be used for extracurricular girls clubs that were taking different issues, whether it was self-esteem, whether it was conflict resolution, healthy relationships, and looking at it from a local, a local perspective, mm -hmm. and then making the connection to what that looks like in some of the developing countries where PLAN's working. So really emphasizing the fact that these these issues have a local and a global face. And on both sides of that, it's very complicated and diverse. But the, the really important point to underscore is that that connection exists. And we should always be looking to understand that local global connection, I think. Well, that's great. I, I really appreciate you spending time with us today. I, uh, I, 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 I'll, I pretty much say it every, every time I do an interview, uh, we barely scratch the surface, and I hope, uh, I hope we can uh, do this again. Uh, Lindsay Higgs from MTV Exit, uh, 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 currently in Chang uh, Bangkok, Thailand, and that's mtvexit.org, mtvexit.org. Check them out. A pretty fascinating organization. Thanks, Lindsay, for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity.